someone to be around you. Someone to sit down and pour you short chew. But sometimes saying goodbye to familiar folks is the only way. Sometimes that's when you finally find your space. Welcome to the Japan Distilled Podcast. I am your host, Christopher Pellegrini, recording in Tokyo, Japan. And with me in Fukuoka is my co host, Stephen Lyman. We're both certified shochu and awamori professionals, published authors, and without question, the thing that hooked us the most about Japanese shochu was the clear sense of place associated with each style. We've been exploring the wonderful world of Japanese spirits for more than a combined three decades. And we're very excited to share them with you through this podcast. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Christopher, as always. This is now part three in a three part series on the WTO geographic indications for Honkaku Shochu. Two episodes ago, we discussed Kuma Shochu, or rice shochu made in the Kuma River basin of Kumamoto Prefecture. Last episode, we talked about Iki Shochu made on Iki Island off the coast of northwestern Kyushu. And today we're tackling Satsuma Shochu. This is certainly the most famous Shochu style in Japan, probably the equivalent of Bordeaux wine in France, if I might be so bold. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it's, I guess if we're making a connection to craft beer, maybe then we would say it's the IPA of craft beer. It's definitely the best selling style on a volume and a value basis. So, yeah, I don't think Bordeaux would be a stretch. Yeah, I do think it also probably commands some of the higher prices, at least some of the rare expressions uh, or more famous brands. I think you can end up paying quite a bit more for it than you would for rare Iki or Kuma Shochu. Absolutely. I mean, some of the most famous Shochu brands in Japan, ones that even people who don't know Shochu from their elbow otherwise have heard of the vaunted 3Ms, for instance, which are all examples of Satsuma Shochu, and we'll probably get to those in more detail in a little bit. Of course, when we're talking about Satsuma Shochu, we're talking about sweet potato shochu made exclusively in Kagoshima Prefecture. Satsuma Shochu has to be made with locally harvested sweet potatoes. The koji has to be made in Kagoshima Prefecture. It has to be completely produced and bottled in Kagoshima. And, you know, sometimes there are Kagoshima distilleries especially on the northern side of the prefecture, those that might border Miyazaki Prefecture, for instance, that source sweet potatoes from farms just over the border in Miyazaki, and they are prohibited from using this GI that we're talking about today. That's right. And conversely, Miyazaki makers who source potatoes from Kagoshima are also prohibited from calling those brands Satsuma Shochu, which is a little bit sad to me because a fair amount of Miyazaki Prefecture used to be part of the Satsuma domain. Yeah, very fair. The Southern Reach. Right. The borders really don't line up uh, perfectly. So some of those Miyazaki makers rightly should be able to make Satsuma Shochu, but you didn't hear that from me. (laughs) In case anybody from the Kagoshima Shochu Makers Guild is listening. (laughs) They're coming for you, man. Um, So part of what makes Satsuma Shochu so popular in Japan and so interesting for us is that when we're talking about sweet potatoes, we are talking about quite literally dozens of different varieties and all expressing in their own individual ways from the most almost paper white sweet potatoes that you can imagine when you crack them open to all the way to the other end of the spectrum, the most ruby garnet, like 
Dorothy's slipper color sweet potatoes that you can imagine and everything in between. Yeah, they really some of them are almost beet color, right? They really are yeah. so vividly red or bright purple. It's it's a remarkable color to see in nature from what's essentially a root vegetable, you know, and you're right. It is really this variety or this spectrum of potential that is derived from these ingredients that makes satsuma shochu so unique. Yeah. When we were talking about iki shochu, they're restricted to using a one third rice, two thirds barley mash bill. So they really don't have a lot to play with. I mean, almost all of the distillers on iki use two row barley. So there might be some heirloom varieties that they're using or that sort of thing to get some different expressions. And of course, they have all the other tools in their toolbox. But as far as the base ingredients, they're really restricted. And then, of course, with kuma shochu, virtually all rice shochu made in Kumamoto is made using domestically grown short grain Japanese rice. And we know from sake production that rice varieties can change the character of the sake. I think it's a little more subtle. I might even say a lot more subtle than the differences uh, that you'd find in sweet potato distillates if you're distilling from different sweet potatoes versus different rices. Absolutely. I, I mean, it's night and day. Those two styles, Iki and Kumajochu, which we talked about in the last two episodes, really rely mostly on yeast, koji, fermentation temperatures, fermentation time, distillation type, and maturation to differentiate their products from one another. Yeah, that's very fair. And when you put it side by side with Satsuma Shochu, makers in, in Kagoshima have all of these different tools, all of these different choices that they make throughout the production process that can add various twists and different permutations of the really, honestly, these wildly different sweet potato varietals. And how those sweet potatoes, how those spuds present in the fermentation and later on in the distillation. You know, if you, you have a, a fleshy, super white Kogane Sengan sweet potato, which of course is the most extensively used varietal in the entire industry. And it's not even close. It's, it's really the, the king of the sweet potato shochu industry. Um, this has a really, really, really starkly different character from a purple sweet potato, for instance, which will, of course, have a very different character from an orange sweet potato. And some of these orange sweet potatoes really kind of give off the, the essence of a carrot almost. And it just goes on and on. There is immense variety here. There are immense tools, levers, different buttons that can be pushed to bend what happens during the fermentation and after the fermentation that gives Satsuma shochu makers and honestly, sweet potato shochu makers in other parts of Japan, a whole lot of extra elbow room uh, to work with. Absolutely. It really does make such a, a broad spectrum. But I, I always, when I really take the time to stop and think about it, we've got a WTO geographical indication for sweet potato shochu in Kagoshima Prefecture, which is well-deserved. Don't, don't, don't think that I don't think they deserve it for a minute. But sweet potatoes aren't native to Kagoshima. They're not native to Kyushu. They're not native to Japan. They're not native to Asia, mm -hmm. right? They're from South America. Right. And yet they've completely made it their own spirits tradition. Now it's been hundreds of years. The sweet potato arrived in Japan in approximately 1705, uh, thanks to a gentleman named Maeda Riemon. We talked much more about his story in our Sweet Potato Shochu episode, so please go back and listen to that. 
uh, if you're if you're curious. But it was his introduction of the sweet potato and beginning to cultivate sweet potatoes in what was Satsuma domain at the time that actually led to a large percentage of the population surviving when they might have otherwise died when there was a massive crop failure just a couple of decades later. And so he's revered today because of his contribution to the local agriculture. Yeah, just a couple of years ago that Tekkan Wakamatsu at your beloved Yamato Zakura Shuzo that put out a one of those little mini bottles that was a bit of a throwback to the Imojizo, the 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 emo gods essentially who saved the the Satsuma population during the famine. And the journey that the sweet potato took was a very important part of that. Uh, preceding Riemon Maeda, of course, was Noguni Sokang, who was the guy responsible for essentially trying out sweet potatoes for the first time in the in the Ryukyu Islands nearly a century before, and finding, oh wow, these are going to be interesting, and and taking them with him as he traveled north. We don't know his actual name, Noguni Sokang. I think it was his title, was his job, but it it's a really remarkably hardy tuber that loves sandy soil, loves soil that a lot of other vegetables hate, and it loves ashy soil native to, you know, it's South American roots. There's a lot of volcanic activity in South America. And guess what? Japan is no stranger to volcanoes and Satsuma kind of specializes in them. There's uh, the very vociferous and often belching Sakurajima, which had a pretty nice I, I use the word nice in air quotes, but pretty impressive blow up recently on a normal day. It does let off steam a few times every 24 hour cycle when it's when it's uh, kind of being normal. Uh, and that ash really affects how things grow. Obviously, rice doesn't love growing in ashy soil, but these sweet potatoes do. And the ashier the soil, I think in many cases you've got it's going to depend on the strain, the sweet potato strain, the, the varietal, but some really thrive in it. And that can affect, the, of course, it affects the flavor of the sweet potato, which affects the flavor of the fermentation, which affects this, the flavor of what goes into the bottle. It's a really, really cool. It's a really, really interesting micro, microclimate, well, various microclimates slammed together. In, in that small space of Kagoshima Prefecture, which, as we've discussed before, is a little bit smaller than Connecticut. It really is remarkable how much the ash and the minerality of the ash comes through in the distillate at times. It's sometimes it's, it's, it's quite present, and, and that is such a unique way of expression. You don't expect that to come through from a sweet potato. And yet there are times when I get a distinct ashy quality in, in the drink, which is Pretty cool, if you ask me. You know, we talk about this as if it's the aficionado's drink. And today it is. This is really for people who love shochu. Yeah. The thing that they're exploring, I would argue, is satsuma shochu for the sweet potatoes with all of these very interesting expressions. And then some some folks are might be diving into really long-aged awamori and, and that sort of thing. But for the most part, I think sweet potatoes is, is what people are seeking out. But it wasn't always that way. This was a really a local blue collar drink that really was hardly consumed outside of Kyushu for most of its history. And there was a big change in 1996 when the WTO, who ended up 
granting this designation to Satsuma Shochu, uh, basically negotiated with the Japanese government to harmonize taxes. And this tax regime change actually resulted in raising the price of Honkaku Shochu pretty significantly domestically while dropping the price of whiskey. And the Satsuma Shochu makers, the Kagoshima makers, they, they all like, had an all-hands-on-deck meeting where they were really, really worried about what this was going to do to their, their sales. Mm-hmm. Because suddenly, whiskey dropped, Shochu got more expensive, are people going to abandon Shochu and just start drinking whiskey? One of the presidents of one of the large companies stood up and he said, no, 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 you got it all wrong. And I actually will read the quote here. This is, of course, translated, but uh, he said, this is not the end of the world. What this means is that the Scotch whiskey industry has told the world that it regards Japanese shochu as its equal. Because it was really the UK government that had been pressuring the WTO to get the tax change so that the price of Scotch would be more competitive in Japan. Yep, right. But the Satsuma shochu makers turned that on, the, on their head and say, look, that means our stuff is just as good. And apparently mm-hmm. the WTO agreed because they gave them a GI. So yeah, not a bad end result. It really did help create this as a premium category in shochu because that didn't really exist, I think, before, before this time. As it turns out, if you go back and look at some of the, the academic, the journal work on this, it turns out that <laughs> you know these were not competitive sets at all, to use a term from the industry. There weren't really any people at that time who were making a choice between Honkak Shochu or single malt whiskey. That just, it was not a one or the other type of proposition. Um, so the, the concern on the part of the European community and also to a, a limited extent, the United States was unfounded, um, which is not entirely surprising, but they, they won out and Japan's alcohol industry is now down with a whole bunch of weird rules that are partly in place to protect the the whiskey industry. So uh, thanks a lot, guys. Um, but you know, anyways, we still have we still do have no. We, I mean, perhaps it's part of partly due to that we have a a or we had I should say a thriving shochu industry going through the early aughts and you know at least through the you know, the time of the Tohoku earthquake and all of the fallout from that, the industry was doing well, but now the shochu and the awamori industry are following the path of the sake industry. Sales are hurting demographically. It's a challenging situation domestically, and there is need for new ideas, fresh blood, and all everything else. Um, at this time, there are roughly... It's hard to say from year to year because it changes a little bit, but there's about 110 active distilleries in Kagoshima. Not all of those distilleries, of course, are making sweet potato shochu or satsuma shochu, namely because there's a good chunk of them that are down in the Amami Islands, and those distilleries, of course, are making kokuto sugar shochu. And so that's a totally different style, of course. It's different ingredients different rules and laws. That's not protected internationally by the WTO, at least not yet, but it is protected domestically by the Japanese government. It is protected as Amami Kokuto Shochu. And 
So I guess when you subtract them from the number, the Amami Kokuto Shochu makers, then we're talking about, what is it? It's going to be 110 minus about two dozen. So you're talking, you know, 80, well over 80 Satsuma Shochu makers, which is the leading, this leading prefecture by number of makers in the nation. That's right. And they really are dotted throughout the prefecture. I feel like almost any town you go to around Kagoshima, you're going to find their local shochu uh, in in most places, izakayas or, or liquor stores. And th- they, the locals really do have a preference for what their local drinks are. I mean, in most of Japan, when people drink sweet potato shochu, they're drinking Kurokirishima, which is right. the the largest brand in Japan. And that's from Miyazaki Prefecture. And that's kind of hard to find in Kagoshima. Yeah, they're, it is. They're it pretty, is. Pretty, pretty proud of their local drinks, and for good reason. There are so many excellent, excellent sweet potato shochus available. Then why would you go drink the mass market product from the neighboring prefecture? Yeah, just across the border, too. That's right. right there. Borrowing a name that is kind of sort of a Kagoshima name. And yeah, well, anyway, so we won't get into the politics of that. But yeah, it's just, it is a, it's a gold mine of of flavor, aroma, various styles. We said before the people making satsuma shochu and and everybody making sweet potato shochu in general has all of these different choices that they get to make when they're making, when they're fermenting, when they're picking their raw ingredients, when they're choosing what type of koji to use. I mean, when we talk about koji. In the awamori world, we're only talking about black koji. And when we talk about koji in the in the rice shochu world, we're often talking about yellow koji, right? So occasionally white koji, almost never black. But when we're in the sweet potato world, we're, it's usually white. These days, more and more often, black koji is used. Sometimes it's a blend of the two. And then, hey, just for fun, they also use yellow koji sometimes, which is is a slightly more modern style that is really, really interesting. It can be incredibly floral and does things that you just don't expect. And, and you know, we just got done doing a yeast episode, mm-hmm. which you should absolutely go back and listen to if you haven't. The shochu makers are just going crazy with all sorts of different yeast strains this, these days. And you multiply against the number of sweet potato varietals that are out there. And we've estimated that there's about five dozen, maybe six dozen that are currently employed by the sweet potato industry, sweet potato shochu industry, I should say. It really is just an endless array of flavor and aroma. And, and that's part of the reason why it's so popular. You said before, it's maybe not where people start their shochu journey, but if you really get into it, you'll probably end up there. Yeah, no question. I think I was reflecting as we were preparing for this episode just a few years ago, there was a pretty well-regarded magazine here in Japan that did a shochu issue. And they had professionals, sommeliers and people like that, bar owners, do blind tastings of a wide array of sweet potato shochu. And they were all judged on this blind basis. The winners were surprising because it wasn't the big boys. The big boys did well, right? The three M's, as you mentioned before, but they weren't necessarily the winners in the various uh style categories. But the reason I bring up this story is there were three style categories. There was light body, medium bodied, and full bodied. And that's how they classified sweet potato shochu just a few years ago. Yeah. 
And if you think about sweet potato shochu made in Kagoshima today, it would be extremely difficult to use only those three categories. And it really is, I think, the, the huge uptake in the use of soda as a mixer. Mm-hmm. I mean, soda has not only changed the way that people drink shochu, it's changed how the makers make shochu. Oh, yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Right. They're now using these yeasts that give you this bright, fruity aroma and just goes so well in a highball. And it's just completely changed what people expect. And then as I think about that, it's a huge sea change in in what sweet potato shochu is. And yet it still gets a GI designation. I know. It's nuts. And could you imagine that large a shift in champagne, how it expresses or cognac or scotch whiskey right it's almost mind-blowing it's been really interesting recently on social media and other other communication i have with people overseas whenever these uh much more modern floral yeast styles show up on on foreign shores and they try it for the first time invariably even if these are people who know shochu they're like what is this what's what's going on this does not taste like sweet potato shochu because we have a an expectation and that expectation has been turned on its head. Yeah, the the entire category has been expanding. The the possibilities just keep on moving outward. And the galaxy of sweet potato shochu, satsuma shochu, whatever you want to call it, um, is is going to continue to just creep further and further out from its roots, I think. And that's that's great. It's going to invite more people in. Um, it's also going to be harder and harder to quantify in an elevator pitch just because sweet potato shochu, satsuma shochu in particular, has such a crazy flavor spectrum that you can't really easily explain it to people. Now more than ever, and it was always this way, it's like, sit down, shut up, and try it. You know, you really have to start from there. <laughs> you know? um, but speaking of trying it, let's, let's get into um, serving styles a little bit before we maybe go back to particular brands. We have yet to really describe the three M's and we'll do that in a moment. But how about the different serving, uh, the serving styles, Stephen? Yeah. So, I mean, traditionally it was hot water, which we've done an entire episode on hot water service uh, for shochu. So please uh, go back and listen to that if you want Christopher's perfect Oyuwadi recipe. But, uh, they, and they really do express beautifully with hot water. Maybe you want to comment on that in a moment, but just to give you a sense of how much hot water service was was the way that sweet potato shochu was consumed, the Satsuma Samurai introduced Oyuari service to Okinawa for Awamori, right? Like they really, really love their drinks warm. Yeah. Uh, and for me, as someone who tends to drink my drinks cold uh, on the rocks or, or with a little bit of dilution or, or with soda, some sweet potato shochu ends up getting a little bit bitter. And so it really, I think, uh, does express much better often many brands uh, as a hot water drink. I don't think you're going to disagree with that. I will. I will never disagree with that. I agree with that every day of the week and twice on Sundays uh, to take that line from a few good men. I think that, but going back to your point from before, there's this whole new league, this whole new world of Satsuma Shochu that plays really well with carbonation over ice. And I think the highball is is going to be a significant and rather easy entry point for a lot of folks who are just getting used to sweet potato 
shochu in general and satsuma shochu in particular. Now, if we're talking a hot treatment of the serving, I I like to go with something that's a little bit more old school, something that is a mm. white, often a white koji, sometimes a black koji spirit, well, often a black koji spirit as well. Uh, those are going to have a little bit of an earthiness playing in there that that needs to mingle just perfectly with the sweetness, the underlying sweetness of the potatoes. And hot water can often help that that marriage happen at the top of the glass, which is why I like it so much. And it's interesting, if you look at the, the three M's that we talked about before, and these three brands were really integral in terms of putting Satsuma Shochu on the map uh, back, well, 20 years ago. And mm-hmm. we're talking about uh, the most famous being Morizo, which is a uh, white koji sweet potato shochu, and then Murao, which is a black koji sweet potato shochu, and Mao, which is a yellow koji sweet potato shochu. And they were produced at rather limited quantities, and they became intensely desirable, and still are to this day, to a somewhat more limited extent, I would argue. But it's interesting just looking at those three massive brands, massive in terms of their general appeal, I would probably serve them differently. I would probably put Murao in Oyuari. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Morizo, I would probably drink on the rocks or with, um, with in Mizuari, so a little bit of water dilution, maybe Choi Mizu. Mm-hmm. And then Mao might get the, the bubbly treatment. Yeah, yeah, I I would actually I was thinking uh, I absolutely agree. Marao is is the hot water, the oiwari. Uh, what I like to do actually, since I've discovered the bitterness of uh, that often accompanies cold dilution of sweet potato shochu, I've moved to using water dilution without ice. And so I'll I'll do a twice up, a fifty fifty, as as one style. If I want a little bit more flavor, a little bit more alcohol, I might dilute less, almost like a splash, like you might do with a scotch, to open it up, and it really it helps you get those expressions in the shochu without drinking it at the full 25%, which 25% is pretty low for spirits. But if you're trying to enjoy it with food, that's a little bit hot. Mm, yeah, definitely. I think you're right. Now with food, and this is this is a really fun thing about satsuma shochu too, the pairing possibilities are really endless. I mean, because you have sweet potato shochu that's super earthy and almost like conifer forest types of aromatics going on in some cases and and mint aromas and other herbal aromatics. And then you've got the tropical side of things that can be all sorts of stuff now, especially these days and all the new yeast strains and the 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 redder the or the more purple sweet potato varietals that a lot of places are using. And so if you think about this spectrum, you just have all of these food pairing options. And if we just start with the way that things work in in Satsuma, in Kagoshima, modern day Satsuma, essentially, uh, I am almost never happy happier than when I have my, you know, my kibinago tempura, or or even if they're fried or something, alongside one of these old school shochu. I love those fish, those little fish with uh, mm-hmm. with whether it's hot or cold, it works either way. It's such a nice accompaniment. Do you have any pairings with Satsuma Shochu that were memorable for you? Yeah, I mean, the food in Kagoshima is so rich. I think this is this tends to happen in countries as the further south you get, the, the more full, full flavored the foods are. Yeah, good call. 
And for example, satsuma shoyu or soy sauce is actually quite sweet compared to the dry or, or salty soy sauce that you would get up in uh, your neck of the woods, up in Kanto or Kansai. Mm-hmm. And that reflects in basically all of the cuisine because that's the soy sauce you're cooking with, right? That's a right. foundational ingredient for a lot of Japanese dishes. And so it, you get this really rich sweetness from both the drink and from the food, and they just go together beautifully. I was never really one much into fish cakes until I spent time in Kagoshima and started having the satsuma age, which are the the minced fish cakes with with the local shochu. Those that's a great pairing. It is, of course, the black pork from Kagoshima is yeah, basically is or should be world famous. It's really fantastic local pork, and the way that they prep it, all the different preparations are are you know essentially designed to enjoy with uh, with satsuma shochu. And you're right, it is the old school full bodied satsuma shochu that pairs so well with those foods because the food and the drinks grew up together right they were they've been they've been table partners for for decades if not centuries yeah and that's now gonna have to change if people if these if this new wave of of fruity high aromatic uh shochu sticks around and becomes a uh you know a table table drink yeah maybe the maybe the tropical ones are kind of after more after dinner before you get into the any of the barrel age stuff or the the heavily pot age stuff or the higher ABV stuff, the Genshu. But it is, yeah, the possibilities are endless. I, I mean, I've had sweet potato shochu that paired remarkably well with a sausage pizza, for instance. And I've had sweet potato shochu that paired impeccably with Italian food. And I think that you can kind of branch out into all different avenues all you can head in any direction around the world and find a a relatively easy way to make it work and i think chefs are just starting to get this and beverage directors are starting to understand it i think you can expect to see a lot more of this and i think that also quite frankly i think the the whole highball craze that's going on and all of these new expressions that are coming out are just going to make it that much easier to uh, come up with pairing options. Of course, shochu doesn't have the acidity of wine, not even close. And so it doesn't really clash with food. Um, the challenge then becomes, how do you find the pairings that truly elevate both sides? And that's, that's where, and so that's why we go to nice restaurants, you know, but then also <laughs> often you don't need to, you, you go, g- come on down to Kagoshima and come to some of the izakaya that Stephen and I love, and you will your life will be changed forever. I I, I promise you. Um, but anyways, I'm getting getting off on a tangent. I feel like I feel like I want to talk about a couple more brands. You know, Satsuma Shochu that's near and dear. What you got? Sure. Well, I guess we can talk about what we're sipping on now. Okay. Yeah. 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 I I actually decided to open up one of your favorites because I finally found a bottle locally. I got a bottle of Junkuro. Oh, did you really? So- yeah, okay. I finally found it. And I've, I've had it, I've had a hell of a time tracking this down in Fukuoka and I finally found a bottle. So I decided to crack it tonight. I was worried you're going to be drinking the same thing. Maybe you are. Oh. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, I have it on the rocks. Probably wouldn't drink it this way again. I think I'm going to try it twice up next. And if it was not 95 degrees in Fukuoka right now, I'd probably have it. <laughs> um, well, I am drinking a black koji satsuma shochu right now, but it is not. Junkuro. It's actually one that just we just got introduced to the United States recently, and it's called Jikuya Black. Uh, it's made with 
Kogane Sengan sweet potatoes, and it's it's got some about a year of clay pot aging after distillation, and it's. I'm actually, this is going to surprise you, but I'm actually sipping it neat right now. And the reason why I'm doing that is because I really enjoy the, this kind of, I can't quite put my finger on it yet, but there's this herbal quality to the top of it that is really, really nice when it's neat. And it's so smooth and balanced otherwise that I almost feel like you don't really need any dilution at all. This is, this is a new way that I think people should consider drinking it, at least at first. I mean, you know me, it's going to turn into an Oyuwari within a heartbeat almost automatically in this room or anywhere anywhere I am drinking. But Jikuya uh, Black, yeah, it's a very, very impressively smooth black koji satsuma shochu. Yeah, I know that I've had it straight, but I hadn't in a while, so I decided to pour one as you were talking because I happen to have it here. I can see what you mean. And I, actually, if, if you go back and listen to our interview with Joshi Natone from uh, the SG group, he actually challenges our listeners to start drinking shochu straight. Mm-hmm. That he thinks that 25% dilution, it's, it's been diluted enough. You don't necessarily need to add more to it. And that you're just going to get really, really interesting expressions uh, out of the distillate as it's bottled. And I, I kind of think it's time for us to start exploring that. Yeah, and I think it, especially as these makers, and there are a healthy number of satsuma shochu makers that are sending their expressions to various uh, spirits competitions around the world, they also need to consider this, that those drinks are going to be tested blind. Neat. They're not going to make a nice mizuari. They're not going to get some perfect cubes and and make a you know, the, per- the ideal rocks preparation. That's not how it's going to work. They're going to, s- they're going to sip them neat at room temperature and they need to be very balanced as such, whether that's, if that's Genshu, great. If you have the confidence in the Genshu to put it out there so that people drink it straight, great. But Joshin's point is, is well taken. 25% for a lot of spirits drinkers around the world is going to be already low enough that they're like, no, why would you put anything else in it? It's going to be, that's already perhaps too low at 25. So let me get to know it here. And then uh, that's going to be the starting point. I, I like that approach too. And that's something that we do when you and I get on the horn, when we have our Zoom calls and they, you know, after we're done, done our regular meetings and then we like, hey, let's, let's taste something that, you know, we get stuff sent to us all the, all the time. I'm sure that sounds like like uh, Christopher and Steven problem, but let me tell you, it does get old <laughs> after it gets old after a while when you just constantly have uninvited booze showing up all the time. It, it's a, it's a good way to uh, add obstacles to a marriage. Let's, we'll just put it that way. Um, and <laughs> so we will often, we will always taste stuff neat first and foremost, no matter what mm-hmm. it is, no matter what the ABV is, because that's the best way to get to know something. And yeah, I think it's, I think it's a good starting point for people who already drink spirits anyway. Sure. I, th- I think that's great advice. And, uh, I do think, you know, as people explore Satsuma Shochu as a, uh, GI that, uh, tasting them neat, I think you'll understand why that GI is deserved. It, they really are beautiful drinks to think that they were made in a single pot distillation from locally sourced ingredients. And with sweet potatoes, they have to be uh, processed fresh unless you're going to go to great lengths to preserve them in some way. So most uh, sweet potato shochu is made with fresh 
sweet potatoes. So freshly harvested, usually within two to four days of, of harvest, they're in the fermentation. So yeah, it's, a, it's an impressive chain of custody to be, to put it mildly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think definitely worth uh, people's exploration. And I think hopefully people's admiration, respect, and enjoyment. This was fun. I, uh, I'm glad we went through these series of three. And when you had first mentioned it to me, I was like, well, we kind of talked about rice, barley, and sweet potato shochu, but you were right. We really did need to talk about the GIs and what makes them special. So thanks for putting that out there. Not at all. Kampai to that. And everybody out there listening right now around the world, uh, if you're, if you have a chance, go out and grab some satsuma shochu, make sure that you uh, try it neat first, I guess, is what we've come to at the end of this podcast. And let us know your thoughts. We're very accessible online. We love to have conversations about these things. And we would love to kampai with you. Kampai? Kampai. Thank you all very much for listening. Just wanted to remind everyone of our new Patreon page where you can support the show. We've already put up a bonus episode combining the three days in the life of a shochu distillery episodes into a single episode so you can listen all at once. And that's only the beginning of what we're going to be offering to our patrons. We have much, much more planned and our patrons will be the first to know. So please visit patreon.com slash Japan Distilled for more information. Also, if you haven't already, then please consider rating and reviewing the Japan Distilled podcast wherever you consume your podcast content. It really helps others to find the show and it also makes us feel good because we know that we're actually reaching people. And of course, don't hesitate to reach out to us directly. We love the conversation. We love to engage in dialogue and we love to help. So you can find me on Twitter or Instagram. Go with Chris Pellegrini on Twitter and at Christopher Pellegrini on Instagram. And for me, you can reach me at Japan Distilled on both Twitter and Instagram. I run those accounts, so that's the easiest way to reach me. Also, check out our website, japandistilled.com, for the show notes on this and every episode. And finally, please consider tuning in to our Japan Distilled Show Tuesday every Tuesday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Wednesday here in Japan. Kanpai. Kanpai. Kanpai.